Welcome to ELT in Chile, a podcast about teaching English in Chile and now teaching English online. I'm Daniel Gwim. And I'm Jose Luis Coblete. In today's episode, we're having a conversation with Carlos Veloso, university professor and researcher. Carlos Veloso is a coordinator of English language courses for professional programs at IPEADRI Chile and also an adjunct professor at the Department of Linguistics and Literature at the University of Santiago de Chile. He holds an MA in teaching for higher education and is currently enrolled in a master's program in EFL. His research interests include translator identity and B language teaching and learning and in translator education. He's currently a researcher at the EIPT Research Group, which studies B language teaching and translation programs in Chile. Welcome to the podcast, Carlos. Thanks for coming here. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for inviting me and for believing that I have something interesting to say. <laughs> we we do Excellent. believe that. Yes. So before we start with the interview, um, if you are listening to this episode, you can watch the video episode on our website and also on our YouTube channel. So, yeah, I would like to thank Carlos for taking the time for being here with us. And of course, we really value your input and also your experience. So. Let's start with the conversation. So um, let's say we have some different types of questions. Some of them, let's say, related to your, let's say, uh, teaching background and, of course, your experiences learning English. So I think that's one of the first things that we would, that we, let's say, that come to mind. So, Carlos, can you tell us uh, what was your experience with English like growing up? How did you learn English or, you know, things like that in general? Um, well, as a, as a kid, I always liked English because, um, well, my mother had this um, like for English too. Um, she was always listening to music in English. I had English from the very first um, uh, level in school, like first year primary school, I had English and I always liked it. It was always easy for me. And then, of course, um, especially with music, I started you know, trying to sing um, all the songs that I liked, translating a little bit. So I, I always liked it, right? So it became easy for me to to pick it up. And, and I also had uh, all this uh, family background of encouraging uh, the, the learning of, of, of English, especially. Actually, my siblings also have this like for English, and, and it, it seems to be easy for them to to learn it. So I don't know if it's um, part of the uh, family background in general, but yeah, we, we seem to like it. So it was easier to learn it. It was, there was motivation. So it sounds like you had a very encouraging household. And one thing that they really valued was learning English. That was something that was encouraged and seen as a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And also, let's say there is a really strong connection between, let's say, either music, you know, or books or video games, you know, and that really encourages people to learn the language, especially when we are, let's say, kids, you know, or when we are young, you know, so there is or movies, at least. So there is something there is some sort of connection like that. So I actually have a question for you about learning English, because back in the day, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have Spotify. We didn't have a lot of the technology and things that we have. So what were the things that you did to learn English? Like, did you have a notebook um, where you like kept track of vocabulary or um, did you like read books in addition to listening to music? 
Um, in general, it was getting the lyrics from the cassettes and CDs, getting a dictionary, and doing it the old way, like the analog process. that. <laughs> um, later on, there was access to lyrics online. There was access to uh, other kinds of online dictionaries. Uh, but in general, it was like that. Uh, it was listening, repeating uh, the song, you know, along with Sac de la Rocha, especially. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the translation process, in order to understand what, the, uh, what he was saying, uh, was basically taking the cassette or the CD and a dictionary next to you, right? Not necessarily writing the translation, but more like understanding the point, right? Um, that's what I did. Uh, but later on, it became easier and easier uh, with, uh, with the technology, right? Um, Excellent. Well, I remember watching movies with subtitles, and every time you watch uh, the movie, subtitles became uh, less and less necessary. So I would watch the same movie five times, and then you were able to watch it without the subtitles, or maybe you would switch to English subtitles sometimes, so you would get both, right? Uh, my brother uh, recorded movies for me with, for, for a VCR, and I asked him especially to do it with English subtitles, for example. So I, have, I had some movies like The Godfather or Dracula or Snatch, things like that, with English subtitles. And, but then they were not necessary because you would already know what they were saying. Yeah, so, you know, it was a longer process, but uh, in the end, rather effective. You know, that's so interesting because, I mean, when I think back to learning Spanish and learning German, I think for me... Um, I had a difficult time finding, you know, audio and finding video and stuff in those languages. Uh, but, you know, I had classes in school and things and in university. And I remember I had like a notebook. And then when I had a reading, I would just write down the words, look up the translation. I had my Likenscheid's dictionary in Spanish and in German. And it was, yeah, just very, very old school. Just, you know, going ahead, translating and, you know, putting things together. So, um I think the technology has really helped us and made things a lot easier. But do you do you think Daniel and Carlos like maybe because I think we all had a similar experience. I remember when I used to play video games and most of the games I could find for my PlayStation One back in the day were all only either in English and Japanese. Of course, I, and I said like I have to choose which version. But it was a similar process, you know, writing you know words down and then going to a dictionary or like Carlos said, maybe playing the game with dictionary right next to me. But I think, let's say, in that way, that that process, I don't know if it made it difficult, but it, I think it made it more meaningful because, you know, we had to really, let's say, commit ourselves to, you know, to, to let's say, learning if I really wanted to understand what was what was going on, especially, let's say, in dialogues, in, like, gut scenes and things like that. Definitely, definitely. I think that, for me, um, writing things down is a way that helps me learn things and retain things. And then if I'm studying something, I'll take my notes and then I'll rewrite my notes, but only what I consider essential. Um, it sounds like, Carlos, you learned pretty well through uh, auditory and visual without really having to break things down. So I think that's interesting. Sounds like our learning style is a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. But also, apart from that, I think that I developed this habit to do my own research before asking anyone, because it's very common to have um, students who immediately ask the teacher, teacher, what does this mean, right? 
instead of searching on their own, right? So uh, I think it's a good habit to develop, right? To to do your own research, and well, that's what I try to uh, to to tell my students, right? That uh, um, we are our best teachers. Uh, when you teach yourself, uh, it's uh, actually self-education is perhaps the the most meaningful, right? But the habit to do the research is is um, yeah. Crucial, right? So helping learners become autonomous so that exactly. way they don't have to depend on teachers all the time. Exactly. Yeah, many times I say, I don't know, search it. I don't, although I know the answer, I don't know, search it. There are dictionaries here, you have a dictionary in your pocket, right? Uh -huh. um, and then I confirm or I explain something else. But first, yeah, um, I teach them to fish. You know what? There you go. Right? Very good. I don't give them fish. I teach them to fish, right? It it's an interesting yeah. way of explaining it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, came all the training in, you know, in, in my years uh, of uh, pedagogy, right? Studying pedagogy. Um, mm -hmm. That's where I came um, to learn more of the theory behind the language. And well, I would say that um, I, I, won't, I don't want to say that it was easy, but uh, since it was something I liked, I think it became easier, right? Uh, I felt it as easier um, to learn, right? And to develop other skills uh, in relation to the language, right? The, the teaching of the language, well, that's something else, right? Yeah. Uh, but yes. Yeah, in my years at um, UCSH, right, the Universidad Católica Silvan Ríquez, um, that's where I I did all my professional training, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, so what can I tell you? Well, before before um, UCSH, I was a student at USACH in an engineering program, <laughs> right? And I failed miserably. Right? Oh my gosh. Yes, I failed. Uh, actually, I got expelled, plain and simple. Um, but that was like a wake-up call, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I've liked English all my life. What am I doing here, right? So I studied, I, I started with ped uh, pedagogy when I was 21, rather, uh, much, uh, I'm not going to say mature, but much more mature uh, than when I started uh, engineering. Um, so it was a really conscious decision. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I think I committed uh, myself so much to, to that, right? And in a way, I do what I like, right? I'm doing what I love, right? Teaching is, is what I like doing. Uh, Does so, it spark joy? Um, I don't know if, it, if it's actually a job. It's, it's uh, more like I'm getting paid for my for doing what, what I like, my hobby or so, right? There you go. So it sparks joy in you. Yes, of course. Uh -huh. It does. It does. I think, yeah, Brian, I mean, I know Carlos and I know he's an excellent teacher and really sparks joy. And is there something that, Carlos, that maybe that you remember from your education, from your language teaching training that uh, it's worth mentioning some, something that you know that was really or like maybe a moment that said like oh i this is something i, I would really like to do let's say as a as, as a teacher um well 
as I, as I was saying, one thing is to learn the language because you like the language. And, and I had many classmates who entered, right, so who, uh, who started the program with me because they liked English, but they didn't like teaching necessarily, mm. right? So although I started um, studying pedagogy because I liked English, I, in a way, fell in love with teaching, right? Yeah. That was the process from liking the language to liking teaching the language, uh, which, which of course are related. Um, but for many people, for many people, they just discover they don't like teaching and they switch to something else, right? Um, I have, I have had a couple of students in translation programs who've told me that they were teaching, I mean, that they were studying pedagogy as well, but then they discovered that they didn't like teaching, that they weren't patient enough, um, or in their first practicum, um, they faced 42, 45 students and, and got disappointed, etc. right? Yeah, I think that, that that's what a very common. What do you think has to do with what you what your podcast is about, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, teaching we, in Chile presents certain challenges. Absolutely, mm -hmm. I think yeah, one of them can be. I mean, I've heard that uh, story before. Let's say from many people, you know, that they like the language, but then they realize that they don't want to be teaching. That's why they become translators, or the other way around. You know, that sometimes they are starting mm -hmm. to be translators or interpreters, and then they, they realize that they, they, let's say, they need to also have this social element, you know, and that's exactly. something that, let's say, uh, teaching brings. Yeah, it also happens the other way around. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I've seen that too. Very good. So, um, when we were talking before, you told me that you're actually studying a master's now. Can you tell us a little bit about the program you're in at the moment? Uh, sure. Well, um, I started in February 2019, right? And I'm supposed to finish, right, uh, in March, right? No, I'm working on my thesis. Fingers crossed. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's an EFL master's program, um, and it's been... It's been, I think it's been refreshing because I've reviewed all the uh, theoretical project methodologies that I saw in my undergraduate program, right? Um, it's also been uh, useful because I've, uh, I've learned much more about the use of technology or new approaches to teaching, right? Um, many of which have helped me, um, I would say, develop um, in my current teaching, right? Um, actually, well, that's something we, I, I can tell you uh, later on if you want, but it has, I have been applying many of the, of the new skills or new, new knowledge I have in, in some of my lessons, right? as different projects, etc. And uh, let's yeah. say, and, and it's, Carlos? It's been really interesting yeah. to, to do that. Okay, and Carlos, is there like a subject that you really enjoy, you know, that you have really enjoyed, you know, it's something, maybe a subject that you say, oh, this is this has really helped me think about my teaching, you know, in, in, in a different way? Um, well, there is one, especially, that I'm also using in, in a research project, but also in my thesis that is called 
content and language integrated learning, right? The, the acronym is CLIL, right? C-L-I-L, uh, content and language integrated learning. Um, so it's a, a new approach, especially designed or conceived um, for uh, immersion programs or bilingual education. For example, in Chile, we have some bilingual schools, right? Well, so it, it is basically a history teacher teaching history in English or a science teacher teaching science in English, right? Um, so I thought that that was really suitable for um, for uh, translator education as a way to teach contents together with language and as a way to support um, other skills, translator uh, related, translation related skills, right? Translation competence, that's the, the concepts we use, right? And that's what I've been doing, all right? Uh, well, in my thesis, which I'm developing much more in depth, right? Um, and that's what we have been doing also in the research group. So um, I've been applying CLIL um, in my lessons and especially in research projects, uh, basically before uh, because um, teaching contents together with language uh, sounds coherent in the context of translator training, right? So we, we've been trying to um, mirror um, the contents in the programs of translation. So we deal with those topics in, in, in the language class, right? Uh, normally, the language class is conceived to develop four skills, which is all right. Uh, but in the context of translator training, I feel that um, the, the language class can also help in the development of uh, the translator uh, competence. Um, so that's what, what that's what I've been doing um, in, in my recent research, in my thesis, I'm doing that, right? And, and well, that's closely related to, to what we're doing with um, uh, Jose Luis, right? In, in the research group and with Mr. Nestor Singer as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that you bring up a really good point in that if somebody is learning English as a language, you know, you have the idea of general English, but then if they're going to be learning chemistry in English, I mean, there's an entire body of language, you know, that they have to learn, you know, that they may not understand in their native language, you know, that they're now learning in another language. And I think that that takes a lot of skill it takes a lot of work to design curriculum to teach those type of things in a way that students can understand. Um, so I think that, you know, that requires training in and of itself. And um, I imagine the translators also will specialize in areas. So maybe some translators specialize in law, maybe some of them specialize in mining, engineering, and things like that. And I think that maybe that's something that ties in where they start to specialize a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there is also something else that uh, maybe that maybe we can talk about, let's say, the, the context of translate, translator uh, education here in Chile, you know, that in some other countries, I mean, I had the experience of, um, you know, studying in Europe. And I think, Carlos, you also had the experience of a semester abroad in Sweden, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you yeah. know, like, yeah, the experience yeah. of, you know, like people learning. I mean, when people, let's say, do a master's degree there in Europe, they are not learning the language, they're just learning the skills. But, you know, in Latin America, I feel like, especially, let's say, well, the context that we we, we both, like we're all, let's say, immersed in, people are learning the language, let's say, with the skills. So it's like um, this context makes it really special because we have to develop, develop in a way like linguistic skills and also translation skills at the same time. So that's why, let's say, the... Uh, the training and also the lessons that we need to give our students are in a way, you know, they, they, they are kind of like clear, let's say related and also like English for specific purposes combined with general English, you know, so everything is combined. True. That's true. Um, so I do believe that the teaching of a language for translators or interpreters uh, should be more specific, right? Um, because, well, in my experience as a teacher, I have worked in, in different institutions that offer English uh, with completely different purposes. Um, for example, I could talk about DUOC, which offers a general program. Um, and the objective is, you know, to develop conversational skills. Uh, we don't pay much attention to grammar, uh, to grammatical accuracy. Um, as long as the communication takes place, all mistakes are acceptable, right? Uh, as I said, the, the, if, you, uh, uh, if you get your point across, you can accept, right, anything. Um, on the other hand, right, um, I've worked at UNIAC, for example, in a translation program, USAC currently, and well, most of my uh, teaching career at EADRI. Um, yes, communication is not enough. Accuracy is important, right? Um, so, well, um, I guess we're, we're moving towards this, um, this English for specific purposes, right? Uh, in, in those programs, um, which might sound old fashioned, right? Um, but well, um, perhaps it's what they need, right? So that's why we're doing research in the field, right? I mean, I think, I think that's really necessary. Um, and I mean, it makes me think back to, uh, to the United States when I was in a teacher training program. And so you have to get your teaching credential for science or, you know, for a language or for math. So I was talking with um, someone and they told me that back in the day in the United States, you got a uh, teaching credential for either elementary school or high school. And then you would be teaching science or you could be teaching music or history and you didn't have that specialization. So that seems crazy to me that that's the way the system used to be. And so to me, it seems like it makes sense for people to have a specialization within, you know, translation. So 
Yeah, absolutely. I think like like Carlos said, I think this is where education is moving towards, you know, like I, we need to have this sort of I mean, it's uh, I think we see that when it comes to teaching, but when it comes to translation, I think this is slowly going in, 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 in that direction that this is not this is not just like sailing with six skills, but also, let's say, research, research skills, you know, like social skills, you know, like being able to negotiate a contract, being able to, of course, let's say, uh, let's say use the language uh, appropriately and correctly in order to let's say translate and also research skills you know like if you want to specialize in an area like Danny like you said maybe legal or like maybe maybe in the in the medical medical sciences or let's say mining so this requires yeah. you know like a set of skills and also That's let's, right. yeah absolutely and and Carlos well you mentioned you mentioned some some uh, research so can you tell us a, can you tell us a bit about your research and do you think that your research has also shaped the way that you teach or has it helped you develop or maybe look at your teaching style differently um i would say that my uh my teaching style or something like that if I have one, <laughs> has been shaped mainly by my teaching career uh, along the way. When I started at EAD, I was terrified because I didn't know what to do with my students. Um, but then I started to understand that uh, language was serving a different purpose, right? That um, it's a means to an end, right? So, well, I started developing certain ideas uh, in relation to what translators and interpreters needed, okay? Um, the different, uh, the, the emphasis in different areas was different, okay? Um, but now with research, I'm making it more systematic, more informed, right? Uh, more theoretically supportive in a way, right? So um, many of the ideas I had now are confirmed Okay, so I always said you cannot teach a translator the same way you're teaching, um, I don't know, a, an engineer, the same English, I mean, right? But now I have like a theoretical background supporting those ideas. Um, and in relation to research, well, it depends on what we're doing because um, uh, with uh, this CLIL project uh, we've been doing, um, well, that has helped me develop my my skills to create material in general we rely on textbooks right but creating your own material i would say is much much better it might be more time consuming but it pays off in the end because um you're choosing up-to-date material you're choosing also to use um authentic language right um, authentic audios. So it, it makes it more real, more up-to-date, because um, I have some textbooks in which um, um, Josh Stone and and Christopher Paulini are still teenagers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? absolutely. Or yeah. Temple is still alive. Yeah, right? yeah. I remember, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that makes me think back when I was teaching I was teaching class about six or so years ago, and um, I wasn't as prepared um, as I usually was. And so I took a look at the unit, and the unit was about heroes. And so uh, what I did with the students was we brainstormed who they considered a hero. 
And, you know, so there were people that said, like, Jesus, um, you know, Gandhi, Muhammad Ali, you know, um, different people. And so then I said, all right, well, now we're going to open the book. We're going to read about heroes. And then we read about Lance Armstrong. <laughs> and, and how did you deal with that, Daniel? Because after, you know, probably, yeah, he, I mean, he lost all yeah. his, his prizes and awards and things like that. So how did you deal yeah, with that? Yeah, his credibility, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, we read and I said, well, you know, this is a lesson that we see the textbooks are not always up to date, you know. And it's a shame because I think we could have had a really, really rich conversation about that. But they were elementary level students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we couldn't have really had that conversation in English, you know, uh, but I think that things like that do allow for teachable moments. Um, you know, sticking to a textbook all the time isn't always the best, you know, obviously incorporating, yeah, authentic materials like what you talked about. I think particularly for translators and interpreters, that has to be really valuable uh, with current events and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think that now we have access to those things. I mean, and, and Carlos and I, we both work uh, teaching the same program at the University of Santiago. And that's what, that's why we we're, we we don't like using textbooks so much. Sometimes we yeah, we take things from textbooks, you know, but we usually yeah. choose articles, you know, like, um, for example, we've been I've been using things from like um, from websites like NPR, like news related to linguistics, mm -hmm. you know, like podcasts and things like that, because they allow for, let's say, to, to have discussions like you say, Daniel, of, of current affairs, you know, and also let's say to they have really up to date language, you know, because sometimes uh, there are words that appear there that let's say there are not people are not using anymore because language changes so fast. Uh, and also, yeah, I mean, we, we all know what's, what, 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 what happened last year in, in let's say, uh, 2020 with COVID-19. I think Daniel, Carlos and myself, we had to adapt, you know, to a new, uh, let's say, teaching context. So, Carlos, I don't know if you would like to maybe make a comparison between both uh, teaching contexts, like uh, what your previous teaching context was and what your current teaching context is. Maybe you would like to make a parallel. Well, um, it, is, uh, it is difficult to compare, right? Um, I mean, the, the easiest thing to do is to say that um, I would stick to face-to-face -face lessons because online lessons were this, this, and that, right? Um, but, well, I believe that the main differences have to do with the way you interact with your students, of course. Um, you do most of the, of, of, of the talking, right? Um, I tend to think that what we had this year, more than online education, was face-to-face um, -face through um, the, the camera, because it wasn't really online education. I've been an online student a couple of times, and it's been completely different, right? Uh, in the first place, all my lessons were synchronous, right? Um, and online education is not necessarily uh, synchronous, uh, 100%, right? Um, you give the student much more autonomy. Um, you have the, you, you can control certain aspects of, 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 of the process, but not everything, right? Uh, you have to learn to let go, as Yora said, 
right? <laughs> um, because, uh, well, there are, I think there are pros and cons. The problem is that since we were not prepared at all to yeah. do this, um, I feel that the first semester online was uh, trial and error. Um, my second semester was much better. Yeah. But I feel I need another one yeah. to say, okay, now it's perfect. Now it's everything I wanted from an online course, right? Definitely. But with a different perspective. I cannot compare it to anything I've done because it's the first time I do it, right? So I, I think I need another chance to make it Definitely. better. Definitely. Right? Yeah. And I mean, I think that when, I think that when we as educators think of online courses, we typically think of, okay, you know, it's already laid out. There are modules, there are videos, there are assigned readings. You know, um, you have an area where you leave comments, you know, and people will leave a comment and someone will respond to that. And you have this really rich conversation online, which is not happening in the actual time when you're connecting live, you know, with other students and things. Um, so, I mean, I think that's what we think of when we think of an online course. Uh, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of planning to create something like that. And we just didn't have the notice. We didn't have, you know, well, the notice. And I think we didn't really necessarily have the skills to be able to construct something like that. Yeah, because, I mean, there are some technical aspects that maybe we're not really prepared for. And I think, you know, like the capability of, let's say, creating materials, you know, creating content and also, let's say, have them online, you know, for students to watch later or like, you know, some science reading. I mean, we uh, uh, in the translation program that we both work at, like Carlos and I, we usually have, let's say, a meeting because, let's say, we, we let's say, know each other. And then we, let's say, tend to say, OK, these are going to be like the main four topics of this semester. And then we start looking for, mm. let's say, reading. But that's something that we do because let's say in a way we want our students to have like a good you know learning experience but you know mm. i mean imagine doing that for an online course this would require months i mean at least a month of planning you know creating the materials and then let's say having a reliable platform to put things on you know and then you know having all the rights to everything copyright you know and things like that so i think this requires a lot of effort so maybe carlos was saying you said like face-to-face -face lessons done let's say through a camera Lots of people call this like uh, emergency education, basically, like emergency online sessions, because, you know, interesting, because it was not basically it was not teaching. It was basically like trying, you know, to use all we had and without trying to teach a class, basically. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, it was an emergency. We uh, we had to resort to what we had and we had to learn to use it on the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but well, here. I think that some other teachers might have a different opinion, um, depending on the subject they taught, right? I have a, um, a colleague who teaches translation, and for him, this was the, the ideal scenario, for example, right? Yeah. And Carlos, why? Was the ideal yeah. scenario. Um, why, why do you think it was different, let's say, to, for him? Um, I mean, why would you think it was so good to teach translation? Well, in the first different place, from, from, let's say, language? Sure, us. sure. Look, um, well, for a translator to have access to um, online sources of information, to actually translate uh, uh, using a computer, um, to be able to share glossaries, etc., mm. uh, it's a huge advantage, right? That's not something they can do face to face because, in the first place, um, translation is not necessarily taught uh, on computers. 
Um, if we talk about Eadri, which is uh, where I mainly, uh, where I work mainly, or most of my uh, my teaching hours are there, um, students have access to um, computers. Um, I think like in the second or th yeah second year of translation, which is the fourth semester. No, the fifth semester or so. Well, the thing is that they don't start translating. Um, with computers, they start with pen and paper, right? And using dictionaries like uh, all all style. So um, for some teachers, it was an advantage to have right the platforms available for all the materials, for all the sources, etc. Um, whereas in the language class, where we're supposed to develop four scales. Uh, things and and with shorter lessons because we only had one hour, like 60 minute lessons, not 90 minute lessons. Um, of course, it became harder, right? Um, so, well, as I said, um, I do believe that there are advantages that I still don't know in in this format and and learning, right? I mean, comparing 15 years of experience with one year of online experience, uh, I don't think it's it's fair, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't say for sure, but um, I imagine maybe one experience is, one advantage is the ability to share a screen and all your students are like the same distance away, so to say. So you don't have to worry about students sitting in the back that have trouble seeing what you're showing. Um, I think in the same way we talked about um, in another episode about one of the advantages of teaching online is that if I am going to practice pronunciation with students, they can all see my face at the same distance, you know, to see the movements I'm making with my mouth. Um, so maybe something like that is an advantage. Um, and I think just having the Internet and having so many things just right away available on your computer that you can share. That's true. That's true. That's a, an advantage that um, we have to learn to appreciate, right? And, and, and of course, um, we have to take advantage of those elements, right? So you see, it's like it was so overwhelming at the beginning um, that we couldn't see it. But now, as I said, um, perhaps my next semester is going to be much better than than the one before, and so on. Well, that's the idea, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think, wouldn't discard yeah. online this online experience uh, right away. No, I think we need to chew it a little, right? Process it a little, um, and make the most of it. Definitely. Yeah, and I think well, there, then that, that's a very good point, Carlos. Because well, online education is here to stay. I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, many people are talking about, let's say, blended programs or like mixed programs or hybrid programs. You know, some courses I can think be that's the way. yeah, can be that's taught let's say, online. Some of them you have to go to campus and things like that. So I think this is going to uh, really change. Uh, and I think, well, Daniel, you made a really good point when, you know, when you can see, let's say, students all at the same time in a way, like you can you, you can see who's connected or who's online, you know, who's not online. Um, let's say in a way, like many teachers complain that and also that's something that you mentioned, Carlos, that we teachers do most of the talking and we have to, in a way, like force students to interact with each other or participate. Yeah. 
I don't know if you, that's something that happened to you in class or. Well, yeah, at the beginning it was really frustrating because um, it was really easy for a student to say, teacher, my microphone is not working, right? What can you do about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, at some, of course that didn't happen with everyone, but there were some specific groups that were rather reluctant to speak, to give an opinion, to participate. The second semester I told them, okay, if you do not access the platform with a microphone, don't bother to attend the class, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that might sound like threatening, but I think that's what I did in a way, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I, I think it worked. Unfortunately, it worked, right? So you're with adults, you're, you're, uh, you're working with adults who are supposedly motivated to learn because they want a degree, and they, this is what they chose. Um, and, they, and they were not um, making an effort, apparently. So I yeah. forced them to speak and they spoke. So, well, there you go. at least it yeah. worked, right? I mean, I think that's one thing um, that we see, and I, I don't think it's just in Chile, I think in the United States, um, you know, if you say, okay, well, these are going to be the rules, this is what you're going to do, and if you're too, like, light about it, um, students kind of pick up on that. But if you say, okay, you're going to do this in this classroom, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, these are the expectations. So you don't have to be nasty, you don't have to be mean, no. No. but <laughs> if you say it, if you say it in a matter-of-fact way and an assertive way, I think that students see, okay, you know, this person means business. You can't mess around, you know. Um, and I think that that's something that's really, really necessary in a university setting, in a school setting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we 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 set rules when we are, let's say, in face-to-face -face lessons. So we also, I think, I agree with Carlos. Like the first semester was was very difficult. The second semester, I feel it was much better. And now that the next one, let's say, the, the academic year starts here in Chile in 2021 in March, let's say this year. So we really, I think, we, let's say, most teachers I know are already thinking about that. Let's say semester, you know, in terms of a schedule, you know, in terms of planning, in terms of like, okay, how can I improve my teaching, you know? And also, I think we we everybody understands that online education is here to stay. So we really need to look at the way we teach from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So sometimes, perhaps with adults, we take things for granted, right? Like you're supposed to be motivated, you're supposed to participate, but no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's a good idea yeah. to, right, to set a couple of rules. Okay, for this class, you're expected to be like this, to act like this, to participate. Yeah. Absolutely, and, I agree. And, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah, and I don't know if that. Well, okay. there, I don't know if this happens to you, Carlos. Maybe, uh, and of course to you, Daniel. But when we finish a class, that's like the moment when, like, I, I, I've read this a few times. That that's the moment where students express they are, you know, when they express, you know, their thoughts the most when they say bye, you know, it's like, bye, bye, teacher, bye, bye. And bye, you hear like, you. yeah, bye, thank you. You hear like a chorus, you know, of students saying that. And I think in a way students express their appreciation in class. And I think, let's say, with students who attend online lessons, some of them, let's say, interact. And at the beginning, I think they were, everybody was a little shy. But now I think I feel that in the second semester, like Carlos said, like students have tended, let's say, to participate more because they, mm -hmm. they know that that's the only way that they can actually, let's say, learn. It's not because otherwise it feels like they are just like watching a YouTube video or they're watching a movie. So they see that they need to, 
mm-hmm. participate and they have appreciated online teaching and also the, the work that we've been doing more. I think uh, one thing that happens with this, um, so my observation as being an outsider here in Chile is that I believe that for the most part, Chileans are a little fearful of change. They kind of like sticking with what they know. So I think maybe in the little bit in the beginning, they were a little distrustful of online teaching. It was something new. They didn't like it. Um, and I think it, as, as teachers got more used to it, they got to see, okay, we can use breakout rooms. We can do these different activities to get students speaking. So I think that the combination of teachers becoming more familiar with the technology, as well as students also feeling more comfortable. I think that maybe those two things came together to make online learning more successful, particularly with getting students speaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that, let's say, teachers complained a lot about that. But I think, in a way, that's something that Carlos also mentioned, like, how can we make students, let's say, talk? I mean, you can do that, like, uh, Daniel and Carl, you said that, like, maybe you can set some rules, right? But also, let's say you need to create, let's say, the space, like, we've, I mean, I've been using breakout rooms, you know, like, uh, and also maybe, like, you know, you don't have to turn on your camera, but at least you have to try, I mean, talk to me and also to your classmates mm-hmm. because otherwise like yeah. it, there is i see no point in like you being here you know when we had to say those yeah. the, those things let's say in order to make students uh, participate a, a little more and i mean i think that one thing that can be done um because i think for some students the effective filter is so high yeah. for them that they're so terrified of making a mistake that it's very difficult for them to I had a student who could not even in the first class say yes or no when I started with her um, as an adult. Um, and I was asking her yes, no questions and she either nodded her head you know, or shook her head. Um, and so I think that as teachers, we need to be sensitive to that. So I think things like letting students record a video to send to the teacher that yeah. only the teacher will see yeah. or you know, letting students send a WhatsApp message you know, an audio message, possibly as a way of, you know, evaluating their speaking, you know. And I think that we have these tools with technology, and I think that we do need to be cognizant of those things. And I think it can be done, you know, but I don't think it's a good idea to throw a student in and say, all right, everyone's going to give a two-minute monologue for class next week in front of everyone yeah yeah absolutely and i think we also need to give the student different i don't know tools carlos you know like maybe uh give a presentation or somebody some students are really good at writing i mean you can see that right away when Mm -hmm. people write a research project or an essay right and that's something because that's something we usually do as evaluations with carlos you know either sometimes like we have we ask our students uh to write and i think that that transitions very well with the next question Carlos, well, you've taught English in translation programs and also, let's say, in other contexts. So what differences do you see, let's say, in teaching English in a translation program and, say, teaching English in other contexts, let's say, Um, teachers or at school, you know? Well, I I think it has to do with the level of specificity of, of, let's say, the the contents you you want to to teach, for example. Um, The focus on grammatical accuracy. pronunciation tips, right? Um, the depth, let's say, of, of the, and the amount, the depth and the amount of contents you deal with. Um, 
I think that's the main difference, right? In, in translation programs, it, it is much more intense and much more demanding for the teacher. The teacher has to be prepared, let's say, for a question such as, um, sir, but this article, should it be there or not, right? Right? Uh, is it people or the people? <laughs> Things like that. Things that you would never uh, worry about um, in courses that are more general and more conversational, right? Um, if one kid tells me she likes the animals, uh, I'm going to give her a seven, right? Um, in a different context, but well, in, in another one, I would say, okay, um, first it is she likes, and if it's a, since it is a general concept, you don't say animals and things like that, right? Definitely. So I, I think that has to do with um, uh, with both form, right, with grammatical accuracy and and, and also the, uh, the the accuracy in the use of vocabulary, right, it has to be much more precise in translation programs, right? And I mean, I think that this carries over to a lot of situations where we don't realize it until somebody makes a mistake. And I remember reading something where if you're at a funeral, the appropriate thing is to say, the appropriate thing to say is, I'm sorry. You don't say, at a funeral, you do not say, I apologize. No, because yeah. if you apologize, that's suggesting that you are guilty, that you're responsible for something. Yeah. But, you know, that's such a small difference. Yeah. In, in that context, it becomes very, very clear that that's not appropriate, you know, and that you do have a difference between those two words, you know, but they, they are synonyms in a lot of situations. Yes. You know, I'm sorry I did that. I apologize for doing that. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, that's something, let's say that we, in, in the context of, let's say, teaching uh, translation, uh, also, let's say, writing is, is a key, you know, skill, you know, and let's say, well, in my experience as a, maybe, I don't yeah. know, Carlos, Carlos agrees, you know, that, that that's one of the most difficult skills to, let's say, develop in terms, in, in this academic context, you know, um, because we're not really yeah, used to writing, you know, and I think that's something that we really, I think that's also a key difference. I don't know if you agree with that, Carlos. Absolutely. And well, um, in a general course, maybe you're going to teach students to write an email or messages, short messages, a letter, something more communicative. But yeah, in translation programs, we deal with other kinds of texts, right? Reports, proposals, um, essays, of course. Um, I don't know, reviews. Um, and, and well, so that's, there is a wider variety of uh, text types. Um, and, and well, it also has to do with, with the kind of uh, texts they're going to see in the, in the future, right? As translators, right? Um, there's also much more emphasis on register. Um, and well, together with register, formal structures, I mean, in a, in a conversation uh, course, I don't think you're going to talk about stylistic inversion, right? Or, or let's say, uh, I don't uh, think you're uh, going to do that. Yeah, or let's say transitions, or you know, or uh, a research, yeah, a research yeah. project, you know, and things like that. So yeah, I think that's that's very important to to understand. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. Well, and those are the, perhaps the main differences, right? 
um, the depth and, and the, the amount of contents, right? That, that's, uh, that's what I would say about um, teaching in general programs and translation programs. Those are the main differences I see. Right. So I actually have another question. And perhaps, you know what? If you allow me to add uh -huh. one more thing, right? If you, yeah, one more thing. I think that the students, right, are also more motivated, right? And translation uh, programs. I have dealt with. Absolutely, right. Yeah. Because they like the language, right? Mm. In in other general courses, they they don't necessarily like. Uh, English, so they are That's there because point. they have to. So they, this is in this is part of the curriculum. So I have to pass this course no matter what. And you see it in their faces. Then when you say hello, good afternoon, and they look at you like saying, "No English," right? Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a it's a factor I would say that also motivates the teacher, right? Yeah. I stopped working in general programs when I lost the motivation. Um, I say I love teaching, right? But I also like, uh, you know, uh, my students to like learning. <laughs> yeah. Right. But if we, if there was no communication in there, uh, it's frustrating in a way, right? So uh, I feel that I have a lot to teach and a lot to give, but if uh, my students don't want to receive it, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. Um, so I would say that um, teaching English to people who really want to learn it um, in all its dimensions um, is much more encouraging for teachers to keep learning, to keep improving. Um, and well, that's, that's why I always say that I still like teaching, right? So I think uh, that leads us nicely to our next question. Um, and so we do face these challenges, you know, uh, and we're typically only one teacher in a room at a time. So how can we develop community? How can we get teachers to interact with each other, to share ideas? You know, is it a good idea? Do teachers have time to do so? When should they do so? What do you think, Carlos? Yeah, it's, a, it's a very good question. It's a very good question, right? Um, I've always seen teachers as lone rangers, right? Uh, they close the door and they are in charge of their lesson. They finish the lesson and, and, and it's over, right? No one knows what's going on in there. Um, sometimes you get your class observed by a supervisor. They give you some feedback, right? Um, that's positive. But um, meeting as colleagues, as equals, um, does not always happen, or if it happens, I don't know if it has the results that we expect, right? Um, I think it is really important that teachers get together not only to share ideas, to share materials, but also to give each other feedback, right? Um, normally, I share material with colleagues, um, but I never know how they worked, right? Uh, it's like I give them a flash drive with information, and I don't know if they used it. I don't know how they used it. I don't know if they improved it. Um, it's like um, we share. There, I mean, there are many ways to share material, email, drives, flash drives, etc., or the cloud. So that happens. What does not happen is a discussion of the results of that, right? Uh, or how to improve our practice. Um, and well, 
do we have the time to do that? Maybe some of us do, maybe some of us, some of us don't. Um, and I don't know if the institutions really want to invest on that, if they want to pay teachers the extra hour for them to meet weekly, right? Yeah. If you do it once a semester, um, you end up with a catharsis, but not really a, a meeting to improve um, teaching, right? Yeah, uh, all I think you, you brought up a, a moment of catharsis, right? Yeah, and I think that you bring up a good point in that, um, I mean, I think sometimes when teachers meet, they can kind of turn into a quite negative discussion, a complaint about things like that. Um, I would say not all institutes, not all universities, not all schools necessarily have, you know, a positive working atmosphere to say the least. Um, so it can be quite difficult to be in that situation. But I think if you are able to connect with people that are positive, that do want to share their ideas, um, there's actually something that I've been going to for the past few months, an ELT lesson jam. And teachers connect from all over the world. And then we're put into groups of three. And then a teacher shares an idea. The other two teachers give feedback. And the second teacher does the same thing. And the third teacher does the same thing. And it works out really nicely that you have this, you know, this uh, conversation and you see how you can improve your teaching. You can see what other teachers are doing. Um, and I think that that's something that works really, really well, because it's not just like here, have these resources. And I've gotten things from people that I haven't even really looked at, you know, or look at it and I say, OK, well, how am I going to use this? But then I don't really follow through. But now that I see people explaining their lessons, I think that it really makes a big difference. That sounds like a really good idea. But like Carlos said, I think uh, in a way, uh, I mean, that that was how we started the podcast, you know, like having Daniel as a like minded individual, you know, talking about things and, you know, having this space to discuss ideas, you know, and um, in a way that because I think we're, we've all been there, you know, when we have this meeting and it, 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 this become like Carlos says, like a, a catharsis, you know, but a, a negative feeling. And but the idea, let's say our idea, and I think Carlos also is part of this group that we would that we like to do our job in a professional way and also having this idea of how to improve, you know, and also connecting with other teachers, you know, not only yeah. in a way like, yeah, we, we teach and then we leave, you know, but also developing this or this human connection that allows us to share materials, you know, ask each other, let's say, mm -hmm. you know, I have this class and it was kind of difficult. So what, how would you deal with this? Or, you know, this worked very well. And that's why, let's say, people start doing research together, right? Because we find, let's say, opportunities to do things together and say, okay, so let's try to improve this let's say our teaching together because by, by ourselves, it's actually much more difficult, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think that we should also point out um, the fact, well, I mean, anyone that knows me or has listened to the podcast knows that I teach freelance. So I'm completely in control of my schedule, the number of students I'm teaching, the number of hours I'm teaching. So this gives me the time to do reading outside of classes, prepare personalized lessons, do projects like this podcast. Um, you know, so, but not every teacher is in that situation. I don't know that there are that many that are in that situation and also doing things to actively give back to the community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's true. Yeah. And well, what you're doing is really valuable, right? Thank really you. valuable because, um, 
uh, as I said, you see, we, we might share ideas and material, but the feedback is what makes you improve, mm -hmm. right? That's what helps you improve. Um, so, well, um, the best is to have a, a, a colleague that, who's on, on the same boat, in a way, yeah. um, help you improve, right? Absolutely. And I, and think, I think sometimes, yeah. sorry, I think um, people that are maybe in a different teaching context, they might be able to give an outsider perspective on things. You know, I've definitely found that to be true uh, with the ELT lesson jams. And I'll go ahead, I'll put a link to that also in the show notes if anyone does want to join or check that out. Yeah, I think that that, that would be a, a really good experience. And also, well, this year, and I think that's also something that we mentioned in, in, in our podcast that we've been really fortunate to be part of this. We've been invited to present in different webinars. We will also, let's say, watched probably webinars, you know, all over the world. And let's say people doing this for free. So I think it's been, uh, let's say, 2020 I had so many bad things, but it also had, let's say, some really positive moments. And I think technology, let's say in a way, we had to use it, uh, let's say, to our advantage. And I think that has to do with our next question, Carlos. How do you see technology affecting translation in the future? You know, do you think that's going to change translation a lot, you know, like the industry or the education that you provide, let's say, your students with? Uh well, in the first place, uh, I'm not a translator, uh -huh. um, but I do work with translators, right? My colleagues who teach translation, they're all translators. And when we talk about it, um, you see, there's always this, there's always this fear that uh, Google Translate is going to take over the world and translators are not going to have a job anymore, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but I think that's wrong. That's the wrong perspective. I think that uh, translators who are able to use technology um, wisely are going to replace those who don't use it wisely, right? Um, in general, in translation, they are talking about post-editing, right? So they use automatic translation uh, to save time, of course. Uh, but then, of course, they have this expert uh, view on, on the text they are producing. And and that's what makes the difference, I would say, right? That the, the professional translator can see beyond the text, can edit it better, can can get better results than than a machine or than automatic uh, translation, I would say. So I don't think it's going to to affect it negatively. On the contrary, I think it's going to make it easier um, as long as it, as you can do it. Uh, uh, to 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 your advantage, right? Um, well, and as I said, I, I I say this from from outside because I've I've never translated. I mean, I've used Google Translate, but not professionally. I've used it from for me, right? So now and then, I, okay. Um, although, right, if you allow me, um, I think that translation can also affect the way we teach, right? Mm -hmm. um, because thanks to all the tools we have now, uh, we can incorporate translation in the classroom. That's one of the one of one of the subjects I, I've had recently in my in my master's program um, was the use of translation in the in the classroom, right? Uh, which might seem old-fashioned at the beginning, right? When when 
hey, are you using translation in the classroom? No, only English in my class, right? Uh, but well, this new perspective um, in a way shows you some advantages of using translation in the classroom, in, in, the, in the English class. Um, because what's the point? I mean, translation happens whether the teacher wants it or not. Uh, students translate to each other, right? Que dijo el profe? Blah, 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 right? Um, it happens all the time. Uh, students have translators in their hands, in, in, in their cell phones. So it happens. So instead of banning it, I think you can use it uh, to benefit uh, the, you know, the student's uh, learning process, right? Yeah, whenever you mention translation in the classroom, they, people think of the good old grammar translation method, right? But no, nowadays it is much easier to, uh, to incorporate it um, because it happens all the time. And, and if you can help students do it better and benefit the learning process, I think it's a, it's a good idea, right? Um, actually, it's perhaps one of my next projects, right? Um, to incorporate translation in the classroom from the beginning, right? But systematically, that's yeah. the point. If, if, if you can yeah. control it, if you can systematize it, of course you can um, benefit from it. And I think we just have one more question for you, Carlos, right? Is that yeah. right, Daniel? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Carlos, would you like to continue teaching online or would you like to go back to face-to-face -face lessons? <laughs> Difficult question. Well, it's a tough question. Right? <laughs> um, well, I think I, I said something like this before. If I discard online teaching right away because it's been tiresome, because it's been difficult, I would have learned nothing. So I prefer to to make the most of it and say, well, let's let's make it blended, right? Um, let's let's take the best of online teaching together with the best of face-to-face -face teaching. And and well, um, let's learn more, right? I wouldn't discard it, no. Um, and well, there are advantages, right? Advantages and disadvantages. So that's why the, the blended system would be uh, the way to go from now on. Um, Definitely. Yeah, although I, I do miss, you know, face-to-face -face interaction and, and more spontaneous, um, um, let's say, development of a class right definitely okay. i think we should discard it right away because it's been difficult right mm -hmm. uh with time it will be easier we will have learned more uh we will have uh a better command of the tools so yeah i think it's a it's a chance to learn and to improve right and to reach people who maybe are in punta arenas Right, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. or back in Arica, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there are pros and cons, right? So definitely, no, I, I I I would continue online, but I, at the same time, some face-to-face -face interaction is completely necessary. So a blended system is is what I would go for. 
Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about uh, people being from all over and being able to teach them. Um, so I participated in some workshops uh, teaching students, uh, preparing them for TOEFL. And we had students that were in Santiago. I think we had uh, someone in Concepcion, I think. And there was someone down in Punta Arenas, I believe. There were people in the north. So these people were connected from all over. You know, so it was so cool, you know, um, being able to connect and see them in that way. And I know, Jose Luis, uh, you've taken um, at least one professional development course with Niall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were some, uh, that was very interesting because there were teachers. I remember there was one from Ukraine, one from Russia, and one from Hong Kong. So imagine, like, the conversations we had. They had so many questions for me. I had so many questions for them. So I think, that, let's say, the this has also allowed for interaction with people from, let's say, many different countries. So. I think, yeah, like I agree with that, Carlos, as well. I mean, it would be, let's say, really unwise to discard everything that we've learned, you know, we had experience with, let's say, last year. And I think, yeah, I mean, we will try to improve our teaching, let's say, using all the tools we know, and of course, incorporating, incorporating the, let's say, new ones as well. So I think, I think we, we understand that this is going to be a, a blended model, you know, like a mixed model of face-to-face -face elements with, let's say, online elements as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think one thing, too, is thinking about the purpose of each class, because if a professor is going to give a lecture for an hour yeah. and just speak to the students, is it really necessary for all the students to go to the campus to go and sit in a lecture hall for that? Probably not. That could be something where that lecture can be recorded and put online. Students can listen at their own leisure, you know, or this could be something where If the professor can't record it online, it could be an online class where the professor is speaking and then just everyone is tuned in listening, you know, from the comfort of their home, their dorm room, you know, wherever. And so then when they do have those in-person classes, hopefully they're more interactive. And so I think really being, um, being mindful of that, I think, would make a big difference and, you know, some type of hybrid mm -hmm. model, blended model. So, yeah, we cannot waste the chance. I think we cannot discard it. We have to learn, right? I mean, um, yeah, it would be very, very, very unwise to, to do that because there are many things that we need to, I mean, we, we can learn from all this emergency situation, you know, and I think, uh, and uh, let's say like not only tools, but also the way that we've been working with, with our students, let's say, um, and also the way that they've been learning and also the ways that we've been teaching, I think everything goes hand in hand. So, Daniel, I think well, we can, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, I think that's the end of our questions. So, that is it for this episode of ELT in Chile. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carlos Veloso and that you are able to start out the year with your batteries recharged. So, if you have any comments or questions, you can email us at podcast at eltinchile.com. You can also uh -huh. visit our website, www.eltinchile.com. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. So thank you so much, Carlos, for being here with thank us. You. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you for the invitation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it's, it, it's also it's interesting to uh, get perspectives from different teachers. And of course, we're going to continue doing this, right? From We're going to have different guests, of course, from different contexts and also from different countries. Yes. Cool. So Daniel, uh, stay safe, stay okay. healthy and keep, keep on teaching. On teaching. So that's Bye. it. Bye-bye. So thank, thank you very go. much, Carlos. Mm -hmm.